I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Yeah, I, I would say the big one is uh, EPA, sure. expected points added. Um, I, I think that in the analytics world, this is pretty mainstream, but um, it's it almost never comes up on uh, TV or, uh, you know, when the talking heads are on ESPN or whatever. So, um, you know, I can understand why a, a lot of people come across it and say, I don't even know what I'm looking at. But um, I, I would say EPA is the big one. Analytics, taboo to some, gospel to others. Now, this is staunchly a pro-analytics podcast, and regardless of where your feelings fall on the existence of advanced stats in football, there's really no denying anymore that they're kind of everywhere. From whether or not you should go for it on fourth down, as more and more teams are embracing the data that pushes them to be more aggressive, to Greg Williams, of all people, mentioning DVOA in a press conference. Analytics infiltrating the NFL is somewhat old news by now. A team without an analytics department is really a team that exists way behind the curve. But still, that data can be confusing. I don't profess to know how any of it is calculated, but I do trust the smart people that calculate it, then present it in easily digestible ways. One of those people is Anthony Reinhardt, a Browns fan and data analyst by trade who decided to combine the two and create a really informative Twitter account. I've been following him for a while, and I wanted to bring him on the podcast not only to discuss this Brown season through the lens of analytics, but to help people, and myself included, get a better understanding of some of the most prominent and helpful advanced stats. Think things like expected points added, or EPA, and completion percentage over expected. These are both things that you've probably seen me tweet about before. And thankfully, Anthony was kind enough to volunteer his time. Analytics helped tell the story of a football game. If you're ignoring it, you might as well put down the book altogether. I'm Jordan Zerm, and this is The Rebuild. All right, well, I am uh, very excited to bring in my next guest. He's somebody that I have been following on Twitter for a while and has um, really sort of just lent a better understanding of the game of football, um, which is always what you... Uh, at least on Sundays in the football world, I'm always very happy to find people that teach me things about football, about numbers, about all that. Um, so I'm happy to have Anthony Reinhardt onto the podcast. Um, Anthony, man, first of all, I appreciate you joining me and, uh, how are things going? Things are good, Jordan. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is my, uh, first time I've been on a podcast before. So I'm, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm thrilled to to be your uh, your inaugural uh, podcast appearance. So this is uh, you know also a big moment for me getting you on first, getting you on. I'm getting in at the ground level here. Um, yes, getting in early. <laughs> so Anthony, I think I was trying to think about how I first became aware sort of of your work um, on Twitter, and I, I I'm pretty sure like Ben Baldwin retweeted you or did something with um, some of your work, and like that's a pretty big deal. Ben's kind of become a a pretty prominent name in sort of the you know I don't know how you guys sort of refer to the space that you work in. I just sort of refer to it as, you know, football analytics or advanced stats. I know there's some, obviously people have weird stigmas with those words and stuff that comes around, but I, you know, I'm, I love all that stuff. So I call it, 
that without really any, uh, any other stereotypes around it. Um, but yeah, so we were just talking a little bit before we started this pod, but, um, I was very curious just about how you sort of got into, um, kind of looking at numbers and data in different way and sort of applying it to, uh, to football. Um, so if you kind of wanted to, yeah, just kind of quickly take me through a little bit of like how you got started and how you got into the space and how it became kind of, you know, a big, a big hobby for you on Twitter. Yeah. So, um, you, you mentioned Ben and Ben's kind of the one who got me started with, uh, you know, thinking more critically about football. I followed Ben on Twitter sometime, uh, probably a year and a half ago now. Um, you know, it just seemed like, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun community, the, the Twitter football analytics community. So, um, you know, I, I think that that there's a lot of cool people doing some really smart stuff, uh, that, you know, they're sharing stuff all the time. Uh, and you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to be somebody in that group now, but basically, um, maybe like eight or nine months ago now, I, I started, tweeting more about uh, the XFL kind of when that was starting, which feels like it was, feels like it could have been two years ago. <laughs> like really. time completely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I kind of imitated one of Ben's graphs uh, where he kind of shows the quarterback EPA per play. Um, he, he does that for the NFL and I did it for the XFL after the first week of the season, he retweeted me after that. And, you know, once Ben had retweeted me, it, it kind of felt like I had a good foothold to be uh tweeting a, a lot of, uh, visual football stuff. So that, that's kind of what my, my Twitter focus is, is, uh, visualizing football data with, uh, you know, a lot of graphs and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, so, um, and my, my day job is that I work with data. So it, it's kind of a, a natural, uh, transition for me to, to take on this as a hobby, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. And now have you been, are you a guy that's been an, L, an NFL fan like your whole life? I, I guess, are you a Browns fan to begin with was my, was going to be my first question. I know you obviously have done a lot of sort of, um, of those graphs and things about the Browns, which I have found super helpful. So thank you for that stuff. But yeah, are you, uh, are you like a lifelong Browns fan? Kind of what's your background with your NFL fandom? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm glad you asked. I, I grew up in Canton, Ohio, which, okay. uh, football's pretty big there, home of the Pro Football <laughs> just, Hall of Fame. Just slightly, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I've, so football is easy to get into in Canton, Ohio. So I would say that I was an NFL fan probably from the time where I was maybe seven years old. Uh, my dad has always been an Oakland Raiders fan. So I was a fan of the Raiders for most of my, uh, younger years. Um, but of course, you know, I can remember when I was in first grade, the Browns, uh, came back. I, I didn't remember them from when they were there the first time. So like my, my first taste of the Browns was in 1999. And, um, I've, I've followed the Browns really closely despite the Raiders being my first favorite team. Um, but you know, maybe sometime around 2010, about the time I went off to college, um, I kind of switched over to being primarily uh, a Browns fan. Um, which I don't, I don't know if that was a good decision based on the way the last 22 years have gone, but I'm, I've gone this far. I might as well just take it to the grave. Yeah. You've already, once you dive in, really, there's no, there's no pulling, there's no getting pulled back out. That's just kind of yeah. how it goes. Also a, um, a great timing to have you on the pod then as your two teams are colliding this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. In Cleveland. That's funny. Um, 
Well, yeah, I'm very much similar to you in that um, I don't have a memory of the Browns uh, before 1999, so I'm very much in that in that same boat. I'm from Cleveland originally, um, and so grew up a grew up a big Browns fan. But uh, yeah, have have gone through those same experiences that uh, that you have. And as as we sort of transition over to talking about the 2020 Browns, which you know for. Uh, Looking at a winning record has been a rarity for uh, for oh, any yeah. of these Browns teams. So, you know, that's that's already a big plus to be talking about here. But I think what's so interesting about this team is because I think, one, just starting with Baker Mayfield, he is such a – I think – I like to use the word fascinating with him because I think to just understand, like, what he's good at, where he struggles, all that stuff, because he's had – in just three short years, like, it feels like we've almost seen, like – many multitudes of the same quarterback yeah, from definitely. when he was a rookie to last season and now to this season, which has almost kind of been a, a weird marriage of his rookie season and his in 2019. And I think that's where like numbers and looking at data are so incredibly helpful because it just helps tell a story of like, when you're like, what is going on with Baker Mayfield? Like what, okay. Like is, is he back to what he was? Is he not? I think all of that is really, really helpful. So I, I, what I wanted to ask you and I wanted to sort of start with Baker Mayfield is like for you, and I know you've already done a handful of, um, of graphs with Baker. Um, you had a really great one about his expected completion percentage and some of those, he threw a lot of crazy passes last Sunday yeah. against the Bengals. And um, that was a really cool graph that you made, but for you, when it comes to you and trying to understand and sort of, break down Baker Mayfield from sort of a data perspective like is there one piece of data or one sort of set that you've seen that has really helped you sort of understand how he's played this season are there a couple just like in terms of how you've sort of looked at Baker Mayfield's play this season what's been most helpful for you to sort of break break him down so yeah I I think that you know when you think about things from a, a statistical perspective, I think it's it's always good to have a larger sample size. So I think we do we want to take into account that rookie year as well as the second year. Um, you, you know, I, I think the more times that we can think about how he's played, the better. Um, you know, when I I look at the way he's played this year, I got to say that I think that he's kind of been helped out a little bit by playing some maybe subpar defenses in, uh, you know, the first part of the schedule. I'm going to get another one here on Sunday, most likely. Um, but, you, you know, I, I, I think you, you, you described it pretty well that, you know, 2020 has been kind of a marriage of that, you know, excellent rookie season where he was playing so well toward the end of the season there. Uh, and, and then 2019 where he took a, a pretty clear step back. Um and, and, you know, I, I so I listened to your, your most recent two pods where you uh, spoke with Mina Kimes and then um, uh, Sisler. Yeah, Mark um, Sisler. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah and it, it, I, I kind of, you know, it, it's, you know, this is a really important year because we're coming into, uh, you know, when the Browns will have to make a decision on that fifth year of his contract for 2022. And uh, I don't think that. Personally, for me, I feel convinced that Baker Mayfield is going to be a long-term NFL starter um, based on how he's done this season. I think that it, it was a really uh, exciting, you know, Sunday that he had against the Bengals where, you know, he completed those 22 passes in a row. But I think it's important to remember that, you know, those are just 22 passes and we've seen Baker throw, uh, you know, what, yeah, probably 1,500 passes so far in his career. So, um you know, I try to keep that all in mind that it's, you know, there's a lot more, you know, information out there than just what we see every, every single Sunday. But, 
yeah, it, it he's very much, I think, in the middle of these the, the spectrum of where he could be as an excellent quarterback and maybe as somebody who's very much replaceable. For sure. And I think that's why it's so interesting to sort of like study him because uh, as we sort of mentioned, in the midst of those kind of 22 straight completions, like some of the balls he threw, I think it was that touchdown to Njoku. Um, yeah. I think one of the ones you sort of somebody asked you about was uh, it was sort of a quick little out on the sideline to Jarvis, but he was he was pretty blanketed by coverage. So, you know, some of the, the com- like the chances that those passes were going to be completed were pretty low. And I think what's He's been able to sort of make a lot of those throws, especially to he did this a lot in 2018, um, where he he threw some passes that were like the chances of them being complete were uh, super low, and that's why like you see that and you're like okay, like there are all these instances of him putting the ball in a spot where literally like that pass to Njoku, I actually um, tweeted. Uh, for for my work, uh, the all twenty two account of the pass to David and Joku because it's just an incredible look at like he that was the only place he could have put the ball for David yep. and Joku to catch it, and he does that fairly often. And so it's so he he can be very frustrating because then he throws passes like you know I think an easy one to come back to is that one uh, against the Steelers where Minka Fitzpatrick his first pass of the game picked it off and you're just like what's happening? So it's very. Um, I think he is – that's why it's so interesting and sometimes frustrating to try and learn about him because he makes throws on both sides of the spectrum. He makes these incredible throws, and I think you've – you know, it's easy to see that in the data, but then he makes throws and you're just like, I I can't even begin to understand where you're going with that. Yeah, I, I think that the last two throws of this game against the Bengals on Sunday were two that really like – I mean, sort of like the Njoku one that he also had last Sunday, you know, really uh, – you know, solid throws. I thought the touchdown pass that he threw to uh, Peoples Jones in the corner was just like, you know, it seemed like he put it right where, uh, you know, he could get it. And, you know, the defender didn't have really a, a great shot at, at getting a hand on it. So, um, you know, it, it, it's understandable why, you know, we're still kind of in this middle ground place where he, he does seem to be making some bad decisions. Um, but also there's clearly some talent there. Uh, and I think that, you know, Stefanski's been doing a pretty good job this year of setting him up with opportunities where he can make, um, you know, pretty good plays where, uh, you know, there's definitely a threat of, you know, running on a lot of these play action plays. So, um, you, you know, that I imagine opens things up quite a bit for him. So I'm, I'm hoping to see more of that, uh, going forward, but, you know, We'll see. He's been kind of up and down, but, you know, it's been, you know, I, I think refreshing to see uh, the Browns really still be able to pull out wins, even when it's clear that Baker isn't playing his absolute best every Sunday. You know, maybe, you know, at, at the end of the season, maybe he is playing at a higher level and, you know, the Browns can make the playoffs here. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. There are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. 
Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Yeah, um, I think uh, mentioning Stefanski is um, a good sort of transition to a next question I had for you because, um, yeah, I think obviously Stefanski, his, I think both his play calling and how he sort of looks at the game, but also just his sort of presence as a coach, I think both those things have been a really big deal for the Browns um, and will become even more so after they sort of lost Odell Beckham Jr. for the season. But yeah. um, a stat that I thought was um, interesting that I saw from you as well Um was basically, I think the, the, the statistic was uh, dropbacks over, percentage of like dropbacks over expected. So basically like, um, and maybe you can explain it a little more clear than I can, but essentially like how often a team is expected to pass compared to like how often they actually do. Um, yes. and the Browns are, I don't know if they're still dead last. I think when you, um, tweeted the graph, this was a few weeks ago, they were dead last and I'm assuming they're still pretty close to it. Um, they're obviously a team that loves to run the ball. Like, there's no secret about that. They have uh, two very, very good running backs. And obviously, Nick Chubb has been out a little bit, but he should be coming back pretty soon, if not right after the bye, maybe a week after. But um, there's really probably, you know, they're going to continue to be a team that wants to run the ball. Um, yeah. I guess my question to you, and maybe this is too hard for, like, a definitive answer, but <laughs> I would just be curious for your thoughts on this. Like, uh, because the NFL is such a passing league, and because I think there is a good amount of – data out there that um, especially when you're running the ball on a second and long, um, which the Browns still have a tendency to do, like they're still going to do it. And there's data out there that says that like, that's really not the best move in the world. Like you don't want to really be in second and long situations and still running the ball. Do you think that the way this offense is sort of structured right now, um, despite the five and two record that relying on the run that much um, is a sort of tenable way for this team to, uh, whether it's this year or in the future, kind of make a deep sort of playoff run? I, I think that's an excellent question, and it's one that I've thought about a lot. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the analytics folks will tell you that you you really do need to pass the ball at a high rate in, in this league to have a really efficient offense. There are a lot of offenses that still can pull it off otherwise. Uh, you look at the 49ers last year, ran the ball quite a bit uh, against expectation and, uh, you know, still had, had a great season, went to the Super Bowl, uh, even had a, a quarterback who wasn't especially skilled. I wouldn't say that Jimmy Garoppolo is a top 10 NFL quarterback, but, um, you know, they schemed him to a lot of open throws and, and he made good decisions for the most part and, uh, you know, made it, made a deep playoff run. So I would say that I look at cases like that where it's like, maybe this can work, but I think, you know, ever since I started getting into to analytics, it's like, it, it's so clear how much better teams are when they pass the ball a lot, especially in these situations where you have like second and, you know, longer than five or six is a, a clear, passing situation first and 10 I think is even a, a clear passing situation um, the Browns this year have been uniquely effective at running the ball and I think that you can chalk that up to uh, 
Stefanski's uh, scheme that he's been running. You know, I'm not like an X's and O's guy, so I can't sure. tell you why he's uh, so good at, at, at scheming, you know, the run. But, you know, the, the results are pretty clear. Against the, the Cowboys, the Browns really ran the ball all over the place. And, you know, the Cowboys' rush defense is not good. But uh, at the same time, the Browns had four or five guys, it seemed like, that were breaking off runs of, of, of 10 yards or more. So, um I think it, it gives me pause, certainly long-term, as to whether this kind of thing can work. We're seeing an offensive explosion in the NFL right now where it, it seems like teams that rely more heavily on the pass are uh, succeeding. So you, you obviously you can talk about Kansas City, who has passed the ball quite a lot under Andy Reid in the last uh, however long he's been there, eight years or so. Um, the Seahawks really have turned a corner this season by uh, – you know, going with more of an air attack than, you know, they've been very much a running team in years prior. But um, some of that is because those teams are, they have quarterbacks where you can do that. So, um, you know, I, I think that Baker's probably more in the Garoppolo tier than, uh, you know, a Mahomes or a Wilson, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you, you know, maybe this is the right play for now, but in a world where either Baker turns a corner becomes a really elite quarterback. Uh, I don't know if I would feel comfortable with the Browns running the ball to the extent that they are right now, or, you know, in another world, you know, the Browns give up on Baker after this season or, you know, a season after that and um, draft a really promising rookie or are able to sign Dak Prescott or something. Then I I would, I would rather see them uh, be putting the ball in the air. But for now, I I don't think it's unreasonable for them to be a little more run heavy. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really spot on. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's okay to admit that. Um, and this is something I talked about this with Mina on the last podcast. But like, I think there definitely is this tendency to be like, I want my team's quarterback to be able to be like throw the ball all over the place and be this incredible quarterback and not have to like you bristle when you hear people say, oh, he's just you know he's a product of the scheme around him or like he's you know because that's. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is getting, and rightfully so, like he is probably if he didn't have Kyle Shanahan, um, he would not be quite as successful as he has been because of the scheme around him. But like, I think, especially for myself and I think other people, I think like sometimes you just have to be okay with that because that's part of, you know, the scheme is a part of football. The coaching is a part of football. And I think it's okay for now for us to say like, yes, Baker Mayfield sometimes does need the help of the running game and, the scheme around him to help him make easy throws and make it easier for him to see the field and sort of hide some of those weaknesses. But I do think to your sort of the back half of your point is that you, in a best case scenario, I think moving forward, he becomes the type of quarterback. Now, will he ever reach the tiers of Mahomes or Wilson? Probably not, but you know, a guy that maybe is right underneath that, that yeah, you can rely on to throw the ball uh, without worrying about, okay, we got to make sure we're scheming somebody that's going to guaranteed to be wide open on this third and five or whatever. So I do think that like, as the Browns go forward um, and and I tend to think that, yes, he's going to have a good enough rest of the season where like, they're going to pick up his option and he's going to be the guy for, for however long, but you hope that that's sort of um, what he grows into. Um, you know, one more thing I wanted to ask you too. This is kind of Baker specific. This is just one more stat I found really interesting. There's so many. I think he, I mean, I know there's a collection of uh, QBs in this league where like 
there's some stats that they have that just don't really make a ton of sense. One to me with Baker is like how sort of average to below average he is when there's a clean pocket. Like the, the thing that you would think that most quarterbacks would be like, Oh my gosh, yes, I'm not being rushed. Like I have time <laughs> to throw the ball. This is amazing. Um, this year Baker has not, and, and obviously last year too, like he has been pretty bad and, and, it's it's just fascinating to think of a quarterback who is just better on the move and better throwing on the run, which just seems like a harder thing to do as, as a quarterback. But like, that's been him. I'm I'm curious for you. Like, is that a, is that a stat that when you were putting together, I believe this was something you also tweeted a, a week ago, a couple weeks ago. But um, was that something that you like thought maybe was what you were going to find when you looked at that data? Was that something that surprised you a little when you when you were putting that together? What were your kind of thoughts? I guess I I didn't expect Baker to be a, a tremendous clean pocket quarterback compared to the rest of the league. I, I think that, you know, it, the guys at the top are going to be the guys who you expect is going to be Wilson, Mahomes, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, those kind of guys. Um, I, I think that Stefanski's offense specifically really puts quarterbacks in those situations where they're rolling out yeah. and, and are able to kind of make reads that way rather than, you know, staying in the pocket you know, where you're more likely to, to, you know, have an option to run to uh, as you're rolling out. But I, I think that clean pocket performance year over year tends to be pretty stable. It's not a great sign that Baker is in the middle of the pack in, in that respect. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's a good sign that Stefanski's scheme is working. And, you know, that, that it, it can be effective for quarterbacks who are kind of middle of the road. So, and I think that ultimately Stefanski at this juncture seems more likely to outlast Baker. So uh, it gives me some hope for the future. But um, I think that I would like to see Baker throw better in more of these pure pocket passing scenarios um, before I'm convinced that, uh, he's going to be kind of a quarterback of the future for the Browns. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and I do think, like, when you talk about just Stefanski, you know, there are so many, I think for a long time, too, the NFL had so many coaches who were just, like, going to run their system no matter what their their talented quarterback looked like. And they weren't going to kind yeah. of design their scheme around a quarterback. And I think you're finally – I don't know if it's the majority, but like if you're looking at Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh and how they completely retooled their offense to um, to play to Lamar's strengths, you're seeing it a little bit with like Ryan Tannehill in in Tennessee with Mike Vrabel and how they've sort of taken from a uh, as we now know to be uh, Adam Gase is maybe not the best person to be working with quarterbacks. They took him out of there in Miami, <laughs> and now yeah. he's playing much better um, in Tennessee. And I think. You know, the Browns with somebody like an Andrew Barry um, and a guy like Stefanski, I do think they they obviously have a pretty robust um, analytics department. And I do think it is it's it is very encouraging that they seem to know what Baker Mayfield is bad at and they're trying to mask that as much as possible. And I think, like, that's really all you can ask for from a especially offensive staff when, you know, he is really your only option right now. And um, you hope that. With Baker, it seems like confidence is such a huge part of his game and, like, just being in a rhythm and comfortable. And you hope that, like, as he goes along in the system where they make it as comfortable for him as possible, that he can grow within it. And I think that'll be sort of the the main question um, as we as we go forward here. For sure, yeah. Um, 
Cool. Well, I also kind of, um, you know, step away from the Browns for a second. I'm just curious uh, for you, if you sort of have a favorite, like, advanced stat. I don't know if maybe, like, there's one that you just think is, like, really, really good and, like, really helpful. And if, like, there are sort of casual fans listening to this, because sometimes even, you know, I, I dabble in it, I guess. I try to – there's there's a handful that I – one, I fully understand, so that helps. And then two, I think are just really helpful to, like, you know, breaking down a game. But I've had people sort of tweet me. Like, I was talking about um, completion percentage over expectation, and somebody tweeted me. They were like, look, I have no idea what that is. And so I was like, okay, it's it's honestly a pretty simple thing, and I, I explained it. So, like, maybe for you, for a casual fan, it's like, okay, what's – what's one advanced stat that I can look at that's fairly simple to understand and that will also sort of like really maybe help me understand the game on another level. Do you have one or a couple or just one that's like you, you find would be sort of that stat that would be that helpful? Yeah, I, I would say the big one is uh, EPA sure. expected points added. Um, I, I think that in the analytics world, this is pretty mainstream, but um, it's it almost never comes up on uh, TV or uh, you know when the talking heads are on ESPN or whatever. So, um, you know, I can understand why a, a lot of people come across it and say, "I don't even know what I'm looking at." But um, I would say EPA is the big one. Uh, basically, EPA is just uh, it's a play stat, so it describes the number of points that an offense added on a single play. And uh, you might be saying, well, wait, most plays add zero points. And if you score a touchdown, it adds six points. But um, I, I would I would give this simple example. Um, you know, let, let's pretend the Browns have a, a two-play drive. Uh, they start at the 75-yard the line, so they're, they're on 25. Uh, the first play, uh, Baker bombs one deep. To Rashard Higgins, he is, you know, running down the field and is uh, kind of dragged down at the one-yard line. So a uh, gain of 74 on that play. The Browns scored zero points. Um, next play, they give it to uh, Kareem Hunt, and he falls into the end zone for, for uh, six points on that play. Now, on that drive, the key play is obviously the 74-yard pass to Richard Higgins that gets them to the one yard line so that Kareem Hunt can fall into the end zone on, on first and goal. Um, but, you know, the, the value EPA seeks to kind of find the value in those two plays that um, the Browns went from, you know, maybe being expected to score two points on that drive at the sure. start of the drive to being expected to score like five and a half points or six points by the time they get to the one yard line. So, uh, realistically, the Browns added like four points on this really long pass play to Richard Higgins and then maybe only added one point by uh, Kareem Hunt falling into the end zone on, on first and goal. So, uh, you know, the, the goal is to, to give value to each single play um, so that we can kind of get a better sense for how valuable those plays are. Uh, the main reason for that is just because yardage is uh, – it can be a little misleading. So in the example I gave – one play gained 74 yards, one play gained one yard. Uh, you, you wouldn't say that, you know, the, the pass to Shard Higgins is 74 times more valuable than the one yard run because the one yard run is what actually put points on the board. So, um, it, it uses some, some fancy modeling and I don't think that part is important for the, the casual fan to understand. But, um, in, you know, basically if 
you have EPA greater than zero on the play, it's a good play. It's a successful play. Um, one of the takeaways from that is that, you know, on first and 10, if you want to be successful, you need to get five yards. So go from first and 10 to second and five, ideally. If you can go to second and six, that's pretty close. Second and seven is bad. So, um, you know, I think, and that's one of the reasons why it's, uh, it's tough to run on first and 10 because getting five yards on, on a rushing play is not that easy. Um, there's also the possibility you could get more than five yards and you're more likely to break a big play on a passing play than a running play. But, um, yeah, so I personally share a lot of stuff that, that uses EPA, um, Generally, we, we break it down by the play level, so it's EPA per play, which is maybe a little different than what a lot of fans think of in, in terms of points. Um, you know, there, there's some teams that are going to have more plays than others, uh, especially now when you have teams like the Cardinals that are really pushing the pace and are going to get more plays in per game. And, you know, they may score more points, but that's not necessarily better if they're just having more plays in a game. So um, that, that kind of helps ground it in, in reality. But yeah, I, I would say EPA is really the best one to learn because you can go from there to understanding a lot of other stuff. Like uh, my my second choice, if you would ask me, uh, the, the second most important metric that, that I like is uh, uh, CPOE, which you mentioned, completion yeah. percentage over expected. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll stick to just EPA for yeah. this one. No, that was uh, I really appreciate that. That was a great, I think, sort of explanation of it. Um, and I, it is, I think those, two, both of those, I, I think I would agree with you. Like those are two of the ones that have been most helpful to me, sort of like getting a better understanding, um, especially like, yeah, completion percentage over expected for Baker. Just really, again, like I, I, I always say it this way, like it just helps tell the story. It helps you understand the story of the game better. Um, and yeah, it's also fascinating to see, you know, when this thing became like, oh, you know, running backs are probably overvalued. Uh, you start looking at EPA and EPA per play. And it's fascinating, even in games where it's like, wow, the Browns really ran the ball super well that game. And then you kind of like go into these advanced box scores and you're still seeing that like, for the most part, it's still a negative EPA per play. And it's like, it really is a passing league in terms of success and, and how teams score points. So um, I, I would concur with you that EPA, I think for the casual fan that is looking to kind of um, dive in a little bit to, to advance stats, that's a really, really good one. Football is back and in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, Anthony, again, appreciate your time. I sort of wanted to end it with this because... I didn't know if I wanted to get into this or not, but I do think it's like, it's interesting. Um, like this idea, obviously Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be out for the season. Um, this has been a big topic of conversation because outside of a couple games, I think the ones that come to mind immediately, obviously the game against Dallas, um, probably his best game is the Brown. Um, he obviously played very well last season in his first return to MetLife Stadium when they played the Jets. He had a pretty, mm-hmm 
crazy one-handed reminiscence of the one-handed catch he made as a giant. <laughs> um, and then he took a slant. I forget how long it was, but it was like an 80-yard touchdown. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. In that Jets game. And that was early on in the season, and everybody was like, all right, like this is what it's going to be every week. Can't wait. And then um, <laughs> it just never really clicked. And I think this is something that both like there's data about it, but then there's also I've seen some writings that I do think are smart about this too, where like, obviously I don't think it's good not to have Odell Beckham Jr. on the field. I think having a elite wide receiver on your team, even if he's not getting the ball all the time, and Jarvis Landry talked about this in interviews this week where he said, we were able to get open other guys and do things simply because Odell Beckham Jr. was on the field and defenses were paying more attention to him. Um, you're seeing what like DeAndre Hopkins is doing for Kyler in mm-hmm. Arizona. Like, it's just good to have good players. Like I, yeah. think a, I think that's a pretty straightforward concept. Now I do think there is something to, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this from maybe looking at some of the data and just your own personal opinion. I do think there is something to this concept that sometimes Baker Mayfield, instead of going through his progressions of what the play asks for. So say he's supposed to like Odell is not his first read, or maybe he's not even supposed to be, you know, sometimes there's play calls where it's literally like, you're looking to the left side of the field. Only this is the coverage that we have, and we're just going to – it's only going to work if we go to the left side. If not, just throw it away. I think sometimes he does see Odell, feels like, okay, either Odell can go up and get this, or I'm just going to throw him the ball. I think we saw on the play that Odell got hurt on, like, <laughs> that exact thing. There was really no reason to throw that pass. I don't know if Baker was trying to go back shoulder and OBJ didn't know what – but there was clearly a miscommunication, miscommunication – there were players open on the other side of the field. Like it was just a forced pass that you just didn't need to make. Um, so I do think there is something to sometimes Baker maybe going outside of the offense because he feels like, whether he feels like he needs to get OBJ the ball or he's just like, I'm going to risk it because it's OBJ. And that takes, that has hurt their chemistry. I would be curious for you as this has become a really big topic of conversation. Um, what your thoughts are about, either why Baker and Odell just haven't really fully seemed to click yet. Now, obviously they haven't been together that long, but, uh, and you're just, yeah, the concept of like, okay, is it, is it better? Do you think better Baker will be somehow better without uh, an elite wide receiver like that on the field? Yeah. So I, I would say I'm personally an an OBJ apologist. I think that he's a, a really tremendous player and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty gutted that that the Browns are going to be without him for the rest of the season. And, and, you know, who knows what it'll look like after that. Um, To your point about possibly Baker playing better, I think that for me, and I think about things in in a very quantitative way, it's hard for me to to quantify that, to say that Baker's forcing it to, to Odell sometimes. And, you know, maybe it'll be a positive thing if Baker doesn't feel that pressure. Um, so it's hard for me to fully buy into that. At the same time, I remember when the Browns were maybe, this was maybe like 2014, I want to say. Um, it was, I think, Brian Hoyer, and they'd mm-hmm. just gotten Josh Gordon back from his big suspension. Um, you know, the, the most whatever one that was, I you know, <laughs> yeah. feel like he's always suspended. But I, I remember when Josh Gordon came back and the Browns had a, a good record and really good prospects for the rest of the season. In his first game back, they forced it to him like 14 or 15 times and it was not working. And they, they played their first really, really bad game of the year. And, you know, 
I think it's fair to say like that some of that can't exist when you have a superstar receiver and there's a lot of pressure on, on the quarterback to get the ball in the hands of that player. So, I mean, I'm not saying that like definitively doesn't exist. I think it does exist. It's just hard for me to say how much that means. And it feels like a big minus to me to, to lose somebody who, you know, coming into his, his time with the Browns was almost certainly a top five receiver by any measure. Um, and I, I know it hasn't always been good with, with OBJ here. Um, I just think that, you know, having that ceiling is, is so exciting for, uh, you know, for Sundays to think like that this could be the game where he finally breaks out and has, you know, a two or three touchdown game like he did against the, the Cowboys. So, um, yeah, it's, it's disappointing to not have him. It's definitely not a plus. I, I, I've seen some takes where people think it's, you know, the Browns will be better off without him. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think they might be a little bit better than I might have expected otherwise. If, if you had told me two years ago the Browns are going to lose Odo Beckham in the middle of the season, I would have said they're going to take a massive step back. But, you know, maybe it, it won't be that bad without him. Um, but it's it's definitely not a plus. Yeah, no, it, it is definitely not a plus. And I think he had already <laughs> matched his touchdown total from all of last season. Um, yeah. So, like, it was – and one thing that I really thought Stefanski was doing well was getting him involved creatively. Like, you saw him throwing a pass or you saw Jarvis Landry throwing him a touchdown pass yeah. against Dallas or, like, putting him on an, an end around and getting him in space. Like, they were starting to use him in ways that I think were really – good and creative and didn't always mean that Baker had to find him on a route. Like they were doing other things. He's so athletic and he's so, he's one of the best. I would say, I think he's like one of the most fluid athletes I've ever seen. Like the way he moves in open space, it like doesn't really even make sense. And so like oh, yeah. they were really starting to use him in those ways. And so, yeah, it's, um, I know he worked really hard this off season to rehab back from the surgery he had. Like, it's just really disappointing all around. And I hope that like, mentally and yeah, he can stay with it. I know he's probably, you know, we haven't heard from him yet since the injury. I'm sure he's not in the best of places, but hopefully he, um, you know, he bounces back and both he can, he can bounce back and the Browns offense can kind of um, find ways to continue to, you know, have a continued success as they've had all this season. So we will see, but I, I agree with you. I think the general premise that like, it's good to lose a receiver of that caliber is silly and it's, <laughs> It's, I guess it's not surprising that it became a talking point, but, um, you know, it's still, nonetheless, it's still so crazy when you see it. So, um, yeah. well, again, Anthony, thank you so much for joining me, man. This was really fun. Really appreciate it. Um, to everyone who is not following Anthony yet, please do so on Twitter. He is at Ryan Hurdler. So that's R E I N H U R D L E R. Um, he's really great. He will help you understand the game better. Um, and uh, he's a he's definitely a must follow for for Browns fans and just like if you like watching other teams in football in general. So, um, <laughs> Anthony, once again, man, really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we will have to do this again soon. Yeah, thank you, Jordan. I appreciate it.